Joan and I were cleaning the house yesterday. Well, that's not entirely true. Joan was cleaning the house yesterday. And as she was cleaning the house, we discovered an old friend that I couldn't believe that uh, I had forgotten about. Joan might have remembered it, but she had me come down and do something. And I saw this baby was about to get chucked. How about him? <laughs> well, he was going to get tucked away somewhere. But uh, I was like, wow, we've been looking for this stuffed elephant the whole time. And here it was down in my basement. And it just reminded me, uh, again, of our propensity to, uh, to not deal with elephants in our lives and in our family rooms. Right? I mean, if you've sat on the couch, like me sometimes, looking over at it, you know, I probably should say something. I mean, it's just been so long. We pretend like everything's fine, everything's good. Looks that way to the people on the outside. Facebook posts are good, Instagram smiles are on point, it all looks so good. But we haven't really talked about anything more than just superficially in months. And so he just sits there, look at him, he just sits there. Like an uninvited guest. But no one wants to go near him. No one wants to touch him. I don't even know what to do with him anymore. I mean, every time I try to to bring him up, every time I try to to broach this subject, I mean, it always winds up in the same place. She blames me. I blame her. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's not my fault. I ask you to stop. You say you're going to stop, but then you don't stop. We just get right back to the same old place, and he stays in the same old place. Blame, argument, you yelling at me, me yelling at you. And so, you know what we do? We ignore it. And after a while, you know, we start to talk again, but just superficially. We keep it at that level. But the big things, the painful things, these things, the things that should be dealt with, that have to be dealt with, I just don't know how to get on them anymore. I mean, maybe the, the songwriter was right. Maybe some things really are better left unsaid. But I don't know. Do you want to live the rest of your life like this? Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way about your elephant. You know what it is. I mean, heck, it could be something with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your brothers or sisters that over time, and time and time again, you, you, you've tried to broach it, you've tried to bring some healing to it, but it winds back up in the same place. It just You've tried to make peace, but it just winds up with pain and dysfunction. Now, if you're here for the first time, first time at Menem checking us out, we're in this kind of funky series called The Elephant in the Family Room, because here's the deal. Scripturally, there is nothing more important than your relationships because Jesus said the gospel is essentially summed up in love. And in these relationships with the people closest to us, the, play, the people that we live with, if, we're not, if those aren't whole and right, it has significant impact on our lives. And so we've been trying to look at what are the issues behind these elephants in our living room. In a sense, not trying, over the last bunch of weeks at least, trying not just to treat the fever or give three steps or five ways, but just really look at what is created in our homes, these issues, these difficult things for us to talk about. 
But today, I do want to get practical. For the first time, maybe in this, in this series, this theory we've been discussing over the last bunch of weeks about how these elephants get created and, and what are ways to maybe wade into it. I want to make those ways very practical for you today. And, and here's the deal. If you want to deal with these things in your life, I have to advise you up front. You have to deal with them slowly and carefully. Now, if you are me and you have to preach on this stuff, especially this stuff, can I just tell you how much more I would rather preach on like Matthew than problems in your family? You know why? Because when I'm preaching on Matthew, Matthew doesn't live in my home. So Matthew is not going to raise his hand and say, you hypocrite. Literally yesterday, I was working on this talk at my dining room table on relational dynamics and bringing peace and how, how practical steps to curing elephants. And as I was working on it, I was screaming at my son <laughs> as I was typing it. And it's this just, just, you're just going, this makes no sense. And so this topic is very difficult for me because it's something that's not just contained in the Bible. It's something I'm living out over on Two Lookout Place in Long Valley. I'm studying these dynamics, but, but I'm struggling to live some of them out. But let me, let me share with you two things about, about the topic this morning. Here's two things I'm learning through this. The first is, I think I have to share this because I've told you this about God, but I'm learning that it's true about our relationships with each other, especially our family relationships. Here's the truth. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from him. You were not created to kind of, it's in fact because of our brokenness, right? If we're just doing nothing, we're moving away from God. Here's what I think God is teaching me during this series. If we're not moving towards each other, we're moving away from each other. You know, it's like saying, you know, back in 1987 when I met God and I studied the scripture, God and I were really tight, but I haven't spent a moment with God in 20 years, but I think my relationship's just as good. You're kidding yourself. That's exactly true of the way it is with your relationship with your wife and your, your parents and your kids and all the rest. You're either moving towards them and health and functionality or you're moving away from them, at least your heart is, and bringing about lots of pain and lots of dysfunction. That's truth number one. Here's the second thing you, know about this, you need to know about this talk this morning before I get going. Over the last few weeks, I've been sharing with you some deeply personal things that I've learned and biblical teachings that I've become fairly successful at. Not perfectly, but there are things that I, I, I've done or I'm doing at one level or another, and I'm becoming better at them. I own them a little bit. But today I'm going to be teaching you something that I blow at. I mean, I, I feel ridiculous. I don't even want... See, this is why it's hard for preachers sometimes, right? Because like, I'm going to tell you something that I'm not doing well myself. But I have to share with you the truth about these things. And maybe along the way, you can inspire me to live out these principles uh, too. So, here we go. I need to get better at these things, and so do you. Here's why. Because the only thing, I, I hate elephants in my home, between me and my wife, me and my kids, me and my family. I hate those things. The only thing I hate more than elephants, you know what that is? The only thing I hate more than elephants is dealing with elephants. I would love to ignore them. I have an incredible ability to pretend that he doesn't exist. I can stare right at him and say everything's fine. Just don't touch him. Don't push him. Don't irritate him. I come from a long line of deniers. It goes back generations. And Joan and I have actually talked about this. Her family is full of the same thing. We have an incredible ability to let that thing sit. 
And of course, I spread that, you know, in, along to my children and all the rest. I hate having difficult conversations with people I love. I actually don't mind having difficult conversations with people in general. Part of being a pastor is a lot of times you have to have difficult conversations. But why is it the more I love somebody, the more, the more difficult it is to have the conversation? The closer I get to them, the more difficult it can be. I would, given my druthers, much, much, much more pretend, like to pretend everything's fine. Move on. But we've seen over the last few weeks, when you do that, when you don't deal with the stuff in your family, when you don't deal with the stuff with the people that you love, and you just let things sit there, it can cause and metastasize all kinds of death. We looked at it in that story of King David's family about how his daughter had been raped by, by her brother and everybody just decided we weren't going to talk about it. And you just saw how it destroyed not only their family, but the entire country. The entire country. So here's what I want to do this morning. Very specifically, too, I want to talk about how we can begin to deal with those things in our relationships, how we can begin to approach problems that are there that everyone knows are there but that we don't want to deal with. How do we do it correctly and wisely? What is the biblical wisdom on moving into to difficult relational dynamics and, and, and bring health and healing and life to these important areas? And so I rarely preach like this, but I'm actually going to give you five steps that I think the Scripture teaches in many, many places to moving your elephants. And I think if you'll embrace these, and I know these things are difficult, but if you'll embrace them, you could really bring incredible peace to your home. And you could bring some newfound life to dying relationships. So here we go. Number one, step one on moving the elephant. It's a simple step, but it's the hardest step by far. Step one is this, you have to resolve in deep places in your heart and mind, you have to resolve to go. You've got to decide that I'm going to go and deal with this. Here's the deal, I don't want to go. I want to stay. I want to pretend. I want to hide. I want to pretend I don't know what he's thinking or where he's going. I don't want to look at those text messages. I would just like to talk about the weather and the Mets and how Caleb's doing in wrestling. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, although it is funny, somebody in the first service did raise their hand. But I, uh, I don't want, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because your spouse is sitting next to you and it's going to make for an awkward conversation for you on your way home. But are there any other avoiders out there that just given their druthers would much rather not deal with this and just hope everything will turn out okay? Now, if you were raised in, in a family like some, some of ours, there was an unwritten rule going on. Peace at any price. Peace at any price, especially maybe the more Christian home you came from, right? Like, no, 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 don't argue. Don't argue. Everybody's fine. Everything's fine. Don't deal with it. Just everything's, you know, we're called. We're just going to, we're going to keep the peace. But it's interesting, the Bible has never called you to keep the peace. Did you know that? The Bible called you to make peace. Jesus, in the most famous sermon that he ever delivered, he said, he said blessed are the peacekeepers. No, he didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He didn't say blessed are those people that just keep ignoring big issues or pretend like everything is okay just so that nobody's arguing. Jesus said, you're called to be peacemakers, to go and make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God because that is what God does. He goes and he brings resolution and restoration to, to relationships. That's the gospel. 
See, we're called not to just keep the peace, but to go and make the peace. So if you want to change some relational dynamic, if you want to bring healing to the relationship between your mom and you, your brother and you, your kid and you, you got to deal with it. It's not going to happen. A lot of people think like, oh, you know, just give it some time. It'll get better. That's a lie. I mean, you wouldn't do that with cancer. You know what? I could do something about this cancer, but I think I'm just going to leave it alone and everything will just be fine. But we do that in our relationships all the time. We all know that there's pain and dysfunction here, but maybe if we just ignore it long enough, it'll get better. It doesn't get better because time just increases the relational distance. Here's what I've seen over the years. If you keep ignoring the elephant, over time, it's going to whine. I mean, this thing grows. It looks like that before you know it. Now, make no mistake about it. We have an incredible propensity within ourselves to be peacekeepers and not peacemakers. It's a condition of our fault. It is the way you generally will act. You don't want to, and neither do I, go and have the difficult conversation. Now, it used to not be this way, but now it's part and parcel of who we are. That's why peacekeeping is so much easier than peacemaking. Now, some of you know the story, right? This is, this is just inherent in our brokenness. In the Garden of Eden, things were going as they were intended to go. Man was in right relationship with other man, or with Eve and with, with woman, and with God. There was a harmony and a unity and a relational state the Bible refers to as shalom. There was peace everywhere. The relationships were all wonderful, but something happened. Genesis chapter 3, something happens, sin enters the garden, brokenness enters the garden, brokenness enters our ancestors, and it works its way out of them and you and I in this most basic principle. Genesis chapter 3, God's looking for Adam. He has, of course, betrayed God at this point. There is no longer peace or shalom in the relationship in the garden. Now there's blame, right, Adam? Oh, it's that woman you gave me. Lots of blame in the creation of elephants. And God comes looking for Adam. He goes, Adam, where are you? And, and here's what Adam says in Genesis 3.10. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear is always at the root. I don't really want to deal with this. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid. I was naked. I was vulnerable. God, I wasn't sure what your reaction to this was going to be. I didn't know how you were going to take this. I, I didn't know how to deal with this situation. So... I just hid. I just hid. I mean, it's the basic MO of the way we deal with difficult things in our relationships. I'm not sure how he's going to react. I'm not sure what she's going to say. So you know what? Let's just keep the peace. But the Bible's full of warnings about this. About the significance of relational dysfunction or relational harmony and unity and shalom. When our relationships, especially the ones that are most important in our lives, get messed up, it brings tremendous damage, not just in our relationships to one another, but to an ever more profound relationship. When your relationships down here are funked up, there was an N in there for future reference. When your relationships are funked up down here, it creates <coughs> relational distance and a relational clog with, with, with God. Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem fair or right, but the, it's true. The scripture speaks of it over and over. That's why we, we need to resolve to be peacemakers. 
You see it all over the place. I'll give you one of my least favorite verses in the scripture. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Remember, this is a new relational dynamic. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Husbands used to treat wives as if they were owned cattle. But now he's saying, no, 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 new rule, new way to think about this. You must treat that woman with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with your gracious gift of life. Now imagine the look on the guy's face back in the day. And he says, and by the way, you must do that because if you don't, your prayers are going to get hindered. To the extent there is marital discord, to the extent there is relational breakdown in these primary relationships in your life, it's not just impacting your relationship one to another, it's impacting your relationship with me. Listen, who knows that this is true? Who has felt this? Things are going good, you know, what do they say? Happy wife, happy life, right? And so as my, as my relationship with my wife goes, so goes my relationship with God. There is a direct relationship there. Here's why. I can't be close to God and be treating my wife like a jerk. I can't be close to God and subjecting my children to, you know, to, to my, my demands. It's, it's a very close relationship there. Here are the words of Jesus about your elephants. Have you, have you ever gotten in a fight on the way to church? Raise your hand if you've gotten in a fight on the way to church. Now, raise your hand if you got in a fight on the way to church this morning. <laughs> there is something about that dynamic of coming to church which puts incredible strain, like, into the, into the car, right? Now, here's what the Bible says. Now, before you get up and leave, though, listen to the whole explanation. Then you can leave. All right. This is what Jesus said. Jesus instructs his followers that this is what you're to do if you get in a fight on the way to church. You know what you're supposed to do? Go home. Go home. Here's why. In Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister, let alone your wife or your husband, has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is not so interested in you coming here as he is you getting that primary, those primary relationships right first because that relationship impacts you spiritually in other places. Now, it's important if you're coming to church and your relationships are a mess, you need to do two things. The first is really important. So before you leave, a couple of you are probably on your way out of here now. But before you leave, notice what the scripture says. You must first be sure to leave your offering before you leave. So that's why you never leave before the offering is taken here at Mendham Hills. Scripture is very clear about that. First you leave your offering, then you go and be reconciled. But that's the truth. The scripture is, is very plain. See, because, because God is not a God of religiosity, and he's not impressed with your church attendance. What he's impressed with is how you love your wife and your husband and your kids and how you honor your mother and father. These are priorities. Go and get those things right. Go and get those right. Because it's going to mess up our relationship. In fact, you know, you keep thinking, if I just leave it alone, it'll get better. If I don't touch it, it'll get better. You know what the next verse is? In Matthew 5, 25, Jesus says, in fact, do this. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Because the extent you let this build up over time, it's going to get more and more awkward. Anybody got a relationship right now where they know they should have said something or done something about a long time ago, 
And they, they've been promising, you've been promising yourself you're going to do it, and you just haven't done it. Is it going to be easier to go now or harder? Jesus says, you got to go. Go, go, go. Resolve to be a peacemaker. Don't just, don't just decide you're going to keep the peace. Keeping the peace doesn't, doesn't do anything. Go be a peacemaker. Okay, now, here's step, step one is big. You've got to decide you're going to do that. Here's step two, okay? And step two is the most important step, probably. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think you know how to talk to somebody? Why would you think you know how to some, talk to somebody about a very significant issue like an elephant in your lives? Do you know, for example, to drive a car, you need hours of classroom training and a lot of, you know, you get your, uh, your, your little permit and you drive around with a guy, right, and then you got to go take a test. But do you know anybody can have a child? Anybody. Now, I've had kids, elders and I were laughing about this the other day because it's true in our own lives, okay? I've had kids that are involved in all kinds of sports. I'll use John as my example. This time, John was a pole vaulter. He was good at pole vaulting. He was a wrestler. He was a good wrestler. So you know what I used to do? I used to take John for private wrestling lessons, and I took him to Phillipsburg for private wrestling lessons. And then he was a good pole vaulter, so I would take John to somewhere up in Bergen County uh, to a guy that was a pole vault teacher up in, in Bergen County so that he could be good at high school sports, right? Because I understood something very profound, it was not born into him. It is not natural to pole vault or know how to wrestle. So let me ask you a question. Husbands, why do you think you know how to love a woman? Ladies, why do you think you know how to love a man? Parents, why do you think you know how to raise a child? Because you had one? We will spend more money and more time teaching our kids field hockey fundamentals than we will working on the most important relationships in our lives. And we wonder why they don't work out. If your kid treated his sports practice the way you treat your most important relationships, you'd look at him and go, of course you stink at this. You haven't practiced. And so the first thing is after you resolve that you're actually going to go deal with these difficult issues in your life, the second thing involves this kind of practice. It's a, it's a principle I call training for communicating. You've got to train yourself to get into these situations, to wade into these difficult conversations. You don't just say, well, that's it. I'm going to go tell him. The reason most of the time that we've attempt, when we attempt to deal with these difficult issues that it doesn't go well is because you shouldn't have gone. You weren't ready to go. I mean, it was good that you went, but you went unprepared. You would never go. Like, you would never go, you know, I'm taking a linear algebra down a county, haven't gone to class once, haven't even cracked the book. I can't understand why I'm failing the test. But you'll move into difficult relational things without any concern about how you should actually work, what, what should go in, into that process beforehand. So here's a couple things that you have, I mean, take a pen and paper out, be ready to hear from God. But before you go, and you need to go, but before you go, you've got to do a couple of things. Go for a walk in the woods, listen to the Psalms, get yourself in a spiritual place, be prepared to hear from God. But here's the things you've got to do in preparation for killing some of these elements. The first thing is, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, you've got to ask your question, yourself the question that James said that you have to ask. What is it that's causing the fight and the quarrel? Is it possible that it's coming from me, my desires that are at war within me? Is it me that's killing the relationship? Are there things I'm trying to get from him that I, I, I should be trying to get from God? 
Darren, I'm sure, has James 4, 1, 4 up there. The first question you have to ask yourself is, what is it that I want that I'm not getting? What is it perhaps that I should be asking God for that I'm demanding from someone else? Why am I so mad? Why am I so furious? Why am I so disappointed? Why am I so frustrated? My son got ducks recently. Has anyone ever had ducks? This is a bad idea for future reference. I mean, adorably cute. First of all, ducks grow. You can watch a duck grow. You could just look at it and just watch it growing. And so they were adorable for about an hour and a half, right? And so now I have ducks living in my home. These are no longer ducklings. They are full-blown ducks, right? A duck is a disgusting creature. It looks really cute out in the wild. Um, but it's not that nice living in your home, okay? So I have a house. I mean, Joan will tell you, we have duck bedding everywhere. Like, no matter where you go, I'll find duck bedding somewhere, right? And so there's something going on. There's a little relational dynamic going on now between me and the one who brought home the ducks. Because I didn't want ducks. I instructed that one very clearly that I didn't want the ducks. But I was assured, as every parent has in the history of time, don't worry about it, Dad. I'll take care of it. Right? And so yesterday I walked out into the garage, and it, I don't even know how to describe the scene I stumbled upon in that garage, but it contained lots of duck feces and urine, and it was disgusting. And so I walked politely back into the home, and I said, young person that promised me, I need you to take care of these ducks. I got it. A couple hours goes by, I walk back through the garage. What has transpired in the garage? Absolutely nothing, right? And what goes on within me? Oh. What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you, right? Is it not? And so, next thing I know, I'm yelling. Now, am I yelling because of the ducks? Kind of, maybe. <laughs> if you'd like a duck, I could... I, uh, they're very cute, <laughs> as long as you don't want, look too closely. Um, what was bothering me is you don't listen to what I tell you to do. I want respect from you, and you won't give it to me. I don't care about the ducks. If you just said, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. That was terrible of me to do. That's all I wanted. See, I, it wasn't about the ducks. And so what James is saying is, look, oh, okay, before you go and deal with this elephant, before, you see, you think you know what this is, but you might not know what it is. Get with God for a little bit. Get yourself into a spiritual place and start going, okay, why am I really mad? What has happened and transpired that caused this thing to grow and become what it's become? That's the first thing you need to deal with. Here's the second thing you need to deal with. Before you go and talk to your kid, your wife, your husband, your in-laws, your, your brother, your sister... You need to remember this. You need to remember this profound principle I told you a few weeks ago. This is where we take the theory and we put it into practice. This is a human being. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. My son was not created to serve me. He's created to serve God. Your husband was not created to serve you. He was created to serve God. Your husband has dreams. Your wife has dreams. God put desires in there, in them. And so 
You've got to stop and think, before I go, I've got to remember who I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a human being. Somebody that has hopes and dreams that might be different than mine. And there's another thing you need to remember when you're dealing with a human being. We're all broken. We're all fallen. We all got deep stuff in us, deep. That makes us react wrong. That makes us think wrong patterns. And so before you go, you've got to get yourself to that place where you're first going, okay, is this about me? The second thing is, I have to understand who I'm dealing with here. I'm not dealing with a robot. And then uh, the third thing you need to think is you're training yourself for this conversation. As you're sitting, you know, I would be sitting in my basement on a couch just going, going through these things. Okay, number one, Lord, what, you need to show me what, what the issue is here. What is it that I want? So I can communicate this better to them, not just deal with the surface issue. And, and number two, Lord, help me, to, help me to see this person the way you see them. And number three, ask yourself this. What are your motives? What is your motive here? What do you want? Because here's what Philippians says. It says, do nothing. Don't have one of these conversations out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, before you go and talk to that kid, in humility, value him above yourself. How many of you have had a conversation with your child when you're ticked off and valued him above yourself? Ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why, is, there, is there selfishness here? Am I valuing this person? Am I, am I loving this person? And then the classic, right? Jesus trying to describe this situation to all of us in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you wives look at the speck of sawdust in your husband's eye? I had to pick some relationship there. <laughs> and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your wife, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all of the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly. See, you can't even understand what the elephant is until you get the plank out of your eye. You'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When you go, you've got to understand your stuff. See, in dealing with elephants, if you don't own your part of the story, the elephant's going to run loose in your house. When you go, you've got to own your junk, your own your problem, own your part of the mess. I don't care how small it is. Step one in that communication process has got to be, here's what I did. Here's what I own. I have a, my brother-in-law is a, a good friend of mine. He's a very Christ-like guy. He's taught me a lot of things. One of the things he taught me a couple years ago was a lot of tension going on in my life, a lot of relational funk and breakdown and all the rest. And, uh, and so he called me up. He said, hey, I see what's going on. I know what's going on. Uh, let me ask you a question. He goes, what, what are you responsible for in this? I said, nothing. Um, and so he said, no, that's a lie. He said, uh, you're responsible for some portion of this. He said, I, you might not be responsible for 90% of it, but you're responsible for 10, and before this thing goes any further, you need to go and publicly own the 10. You need to, fit, you need to own your stuff. And so you're training yourself for this conversation. Lord, show me my part. And so when the Lord shows you your part, and you're getting ready to go into to this conversation, here's the first thing you do. You're going to start with an apology. Now, there's one key thing that screws up every apology. There's one word that messes up every apology that's ever been given. Who knows what the one word is that messes up an apology? Have you ever tried to say you're sorry without putting a butt on it? 
Holy smokes. If you ever want to feel, like I, I, every once in a while I try to teach my kids what your flesh feels like, what the Bible says is what your flesh feels like. Try to say you're sorry and not say but. And you will feel what your flesh feels like. Caleb, I'd like to apologize for overreacting about the ducks. Mm. <laughs> but I told you not to get ducks and I told you to clean and own yourself, honey, I'm so sorry that I didn't take the garbage out. Again, I missed the garbage out. It'll be piled up in here for another two weeks. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right? Uh, just do it. I've been trying to do this the last couple, a couple of days. It's so hard to say you're sorry. What Here's what I've gotten good at. I, I, I've, uh, this is just because I'm so screwed up. You start to realize how messed up you are. I can now apologize without a but. However, I will work the butt in a couple minutes later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it'll come along. Okay, I'm really sorry about that whole duck thing. It was my bad. Yeah, Mets are doing good. Hey, about the ducks. <laughs> no buts. You just go own your stuff. Care enough. Feel, know that you're called to be a peacemaker. Prepare for the conversation. Look deep at yourself. And once you've gone through those steps, here's the deal. It's time to go. It's time to go. But you don't just go flying in there, okay? Here's what the scripture says. I have, I have another one of my children, and it's very, very, the kids are getting it today. This is what happens when they don't come to church. Another one of my kids tells me all the time, I just tell people the way it is. They don't like it. <laughs> That's just the way it is. I tell them the way it is. Okay, elephants run loose when you tell people the way it is, right? Number one. And number two, it's not likely the way it is, right? And number three, there is no less biblical way to address a difficult situation than to quote unquote, tell them like it is. The scripture says you're actually supposed to tell them something uh, it, it, truthful, but it's supposed to come out in a very different way. The scripture says number three, point number three is you've got to speak the truth but you've got to speak the truth in love. It's got to be soaked in love, not in anger or resentment or bitterness or rejection. It's just got to reek. And I literally mean it's got to stink of love. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says instead, in chapter 4, he goes, instead... Well, instead of what? Well, instead of acting, doing what's natural, instead of causing dissension, instead of doing what feels what, right, instead speak the truth in love. And then you'll grow up into the mature uh, body of, of Christ. It's not just the New Testament. How about Leviticus? It's Old Testament book of the laws. Uh, most of us never really spent a lot of time in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Don't hold grudges, but on the other hand, See, here it is, go, Leviticus telling you to go deal with the elephants. Don't hold grudges. On the other hand, it's wrong not to correct someone who needs correcting. In other words, you need to go and deal with the elephants. But he goes on. But stop being angry and don't try to take revenge. I'm the Lord and I command you to love others as much as you love yourself. Does that sound familiar? Anybody you know said that? This is where Jesus got the main point of his ministry from. Go deal with your elephants but before you go, man, you better soak the truth in love. You have to remember how powerful your words are. That's why you train for this time of communication. You don't go blowing in, speaking the first thing that comes to your mind. Do not 
do not say the first thing that comes to your mind. There's power in your words. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. I'm telling you, Scripture says, man, the way you approach these things has to reek of love. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. What could I say? How could I put this that would (coughs) be attractive, not repulsive, so that you'll have the right response? You want the right response from your husband? You want the right response from your kids? Think, how can I make this? What are my words going to say that can be gracious and attractive? You want to bring healing to places of pain? Proverbs 12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I can't tell you how many, how many relationships get destroyed because you start yelling at each other and, and not only yelling over the issue, you start insulting each other. You this, you that. Never do that. that is, that's not biblical, it's not scriptural, that's not befitting somebody that, that has the spirit of Christ in them. We don't run from dealing with our elephants, but we don't take personal shots. We don't use curse words, not because we're religious, but because that tears people down. You come to people, you value them above yourself, and you say, I'm coming in humility. I need to share this. Please don't insult one another. All right, so now you've committed yourself to going. You've prepared yourself for going. You've told the truth in love. Here's step four. Step four is the one that you're going to feel step four, and you're going to have to know it's coming. Because you're dealing with a human being who has hopes and dreams and purposes that are not of your own, and who is fallen and broken and imperfect. Here's a key. When you go to deal with the elephant, do not expect a perfect response. You know, Caleb, I never thought about it that way. You're right. Let the ducks run wild. I was completely wrong. (laughs) Poor Caleb. He's a broken human being. And when I come to him, what's naturally going to happen? Defense mechanisms go up, right? You're not going to get a perfect response. You're dealing with a human being. So you need to go in prepared for a response. And here's the problem that we all face. And we're terrible at it. It's part of the human condition. Step four, we need to learn to listen. You have to learn to listen. It's not natural to listen. It's going to be natural to be hurt or defensive. It's natural not to to listen. Joe and I have been talking about these issues, right? I gave you that brilliant idea of go, uh, go ask somebody that you care about a lot what dreams uh, and visions that you've quashed. And so I asked Jill and that the other night over dinner, and a couple hours later when she got done, I, I started. <laughs> but there's, when, we, when we're having honest conversations, right? Do you know what my initial reaction is? It's yours too. Defensive. Even though I wanted to hear it. Tell me about all the things I've done. Right? Because something that's defensive in our nature, and the scripture says you've got to override what you're initially going to feel, and you've got to learn to listen. It is natural to get offended. Everybody gets offended. Look what Proverbs says here. I love this. Chapter 13. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. 
Jesus' brother James, he probably got himself into a couple of fights with his brother, right? He probably said some things along the way to a guy that was running around saying he was the savior of the world. He probably said a few things that he wishes he could get back. And here's what James teaches. He says, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, because take note of it, he says. Write it down because it's not going to come natural. Take note of this. Be really, you should be really quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because he knows what happens. He knows we get defensive. Be slow to get angry. Just listen. I got to tell you, these are the most dangerous moments. These are the most dangerous moments in the conversation. This is where you either put the elephant down or the elephant runs wild in how you listen to what comes back and how you respond to what you're hearing. Don't just, just Proverbs 15. I mean, you could go through Proverbs all day. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 29. Do you see this man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Be ready for a response and listen. There are two times that you're going to need to be courageous here. The first is going and dealing with the elephant. And the second, the second is that you're going to have to be courageous in listening and appropriating what you hear coming back. And lastly, there's this, and I hope you'll find some peace in this. It's this principle that I just called living in peace. After you've gone, after you've tried to broach this, I know some of you are sitting there and you've gone, yeah, I've tried this before. I tried to, I tried to say something. I tried to make up. But it didn't get anywhere. We still hate each other. We still can't talk. We still, don't, we still don't spend holidays together. I mean, I get it, man. Some of these elephants are big and hairy. Some of them might have addiction issues underlying them. That gets really difficult. In some of them, there's been a lot of water that's gone under the bridge. Lots of time has built up. Distance is, is, is spread in the relationship. And I know that can be a reason for not even trying. I mean, you might think, I, I'm not going to bother because I know how it's going to turn out. I've tried it in the past. Why would I try again? You've gone, you've asked for forgiveness, you've prayed for restoration, but it just, it all seems so one-sided. Paul gives a two-sentence two, two response to those of us that are in this place. He says, number one, in Romans 14, 19, he says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So the question is, have you done everything? Have you, can you stand before God and in these key relationships say, I have done everything? I've done everything that I could. I mean, I mean, Lord, I, I went and I trained for it and I prayed up and I, I tried to own my stuff and I, I started in humility and I, 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 I soaked everything I said in love and I, I, I tried to listen and I, I didn't react and it's still nowhere. Paul says, okay, if you've made every effort to do what leads to peace and, and edification, in Romans 12, 18, he, he gives what I think is the most freeing relational thing the Bible says. He says in Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, and see, understand what Paul's saying here is, is it's not always possible. We don't live in Eden anymore. Everybody will not forgive you. Every relationship will not be made whole this side of heaven. But he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, 
Live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, if you've done everything that you could, if you've gone and prepared and prayed and owned your stuff and listened, you did the self-evaluation, you took the plank out of your eye, you spoke the truth in so much love that the truth almost drowned, if you've done everything that you could possibly have done, then you've done all that you can do. You've done all that you can do. It's not on you. You stand before God, and that unclogs, that unclogs. See, God, God is not hiding from your prayers, but it, 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 it unclogs that thing. And, and now your relationship with God winds up getting restored. It might not get restored with that person, but if you've done everything you can to bring healing, here's what I'm promising you. There is peace there for you. There's peace. Not perfect, not on this side of the kingdom, but as far as it depends on you, as long as you did all you kid, there's peace there. So, band, come up. Here's the question as I close. You can do this. You can fix these. God is calling on you to fix them as long as, as, long as it, 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 it's possible for you to do. I don't know who he's calling you to, but you do. I don't know who you need to go out and fix this with, but you do. And so the question is, to whom and to where do you need to go to stop the peacekeeping and start the peacemaking? Let's close and worship together.